At the T-minus three-minute mark, tape recorders on board the spacecraft were turned on. These recorders record both voice and data. This is WOMM LP operating out of Burlington, Vermont, 105.9 The Radiator. It's The Rocket Shop. I'm your host, Tom Proctor, and with me tonight is a Burlington musical legend, Tom Pirro. Hello. Hello, Tom. It's good to see you again. Yeah, good to see you. Really, really glad to have you back in the studio. Uh, we're just talking on air before. I think the last time you came in was a couple of years ago. So it's uh, nice to see you again. Yeah, likewise. Really nice first time back performing in this new space. And if I do say so myself, it's quite vibey in here. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely got a certain, uh, I don't know, say je ne sais quoi. <laughs> <laughs> um, we always like kicking off with a song. So what have you got for us? I got a brand new song. I think I've only performed it live once. Uh, this tune is actually about a trick to remember things. So I don't know if you're familiar. There is a kind of a strategy if you're trying to remember th- something where you put it in a specific location in your mind. And it's called Memory Palace. That's what the song is called. Thank you. 
Tom Pera there with Memory Palace. Well, gorgeous song to start us off with. Um, I guess the first thing that comes to mind is, as an ambient musician, how do you get? How do you uh, name the tracks you're creating? There's obviously no lyrics. There's you're evoking a, an, an idea or a theme or an emotion with what you're creating. So, how does that? How do you then make that into like a you know? Why memory, memory palace, for instance? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, it's you know interesting. I think a lot of people hear me as an instrumental artist, and yeah, I don't actually get an opportunity to tell the story behind a lot of these songs. Um, you know, a lot of musicians consider themselves storytellers. I don't consider myself a storyteller. I am a painter, and I paint landscapes using my guitar and some of these effects as a brush. So, you know, I'm creating this palace for you and the listener to walk into and make your own story in there. Now, this song does have a little bit more of a uh, definitive connection to Memory Palace. If you might, no if you might have noticed, the melody line, line mm -hmm. is quite long, so I actually applied the Memory Palace trick mm. to the melody line so I could remember it. It extends something over like 32 bars. So it's quite a long melody line. So I've put it in a little place in my mind so I can remember it. So. Fantastic. Um, I, funny you should say that you're a painter because that's something that kind of came to mind as you were playing, uh, as you're layering on these sounds. That's the, the image that was coming in my my head you're evoking and I was thinking about it as you're playing and it's more of a renaissance artist rather than say like a contemporary artist that it doesn't seem to be a lot of room for uh, uh, change within the song itself it seems like very deliberate everything is put in a very very deliberate place it's, it's not like a like a jam band if you will where <laughs> you're kind of making up on the spot um, do you have space for kind of innovation in that song or are you very exact in terms of where you place place the sounds and and layering the tracks mm. you know it, it's interesting again that you pick up on the fact that these songs while they sound very ambient and immersive they are highly structured i would say in that tune you know there was a section maybe the last couple minutes where it's not explicitly written exactly what i'm playing but for sure, I mean, everything that I do uses a loop. And the way that those pieces fit together, there's only one piece that fits in a puzzle slot. And so these songs are, I'd say, 80%, 85% structured. And even the improvisation is kind of written in. Like, I know what sections I can improv in. So mm -hmm. that's almost there's almost freedom and improvisation that's written into the form of these tunes so um do you purposely hold space then for that innovate that innovation in the um in these songs is, is there some songs where you're like very strict and and you are going to do it exactly right 100 percent, and then some songs are like oh, i'm going to go a bit wild on this one yeah absolutely um each song has a form and sometimes in those forms there is a room for improvisation and oftentimes there's not um so, yeah, I'd say it definitely varies song to song. And I like the songs to remain living. So I'm never afraid to go off script. 
if I am feeling like the room wants a certain energy, then the form can get put aside, thrown to the wind, and we're going to just follow the vibe that everyone's on. But it gives me a really solid launching pad, and it's a structure, right? Like, you know, I'm trying to take this emotional trip to, like, the outermost reaches or the innermost reaches. And to do that, I can't just start from scratch. So I rely heavily on a lot of this structure that I've built over the past decade mm. to take us there, right? You're mentioning um, you, you kind of play to the room that you're in. Uh, so you are you are a live musician, really. Um, obviously, you got tracks on Spotify, and uh, you, you know you can go out and buy your vinyl and whatnot. But uh, it, I guess this is a leading question. But would you consider yourself, in order to get the full experience, is it, is it something that you have to come and see rather than listen to on on something that's already pre-made? Hmm. You know, it's funny. I'm I'm reading a book by David Byrne right now. It's called How Music Works. It's excellent. It's one of the best books, so informative. He breaks down almost every detail of his music career, from his finances to how he developed a scene at CBGB's. Amazing. And he talks a lot about recorded music and its role in kind of the history and the pedigree of musicians. And, you know, I think of myself, I do think of myself as a recording artist. I really do love making recordings. But especially over the past two years, I've realized how much I've really missed performing live. And it is a totally different thing where I'm trying to really connect and really have this heartfelt, genuine connection with the audience. And that's something where, you know, if you listen to my recordings, it's more of a trip for you to go inside. So I, I, I love them both. I love them both. But yeah, I really do strive to make the live shows similar so it's recognizable, right? I have a sound, and that's like my strong points. I have tons of weak points, <laughs> but one of them is I have my own sound. I think you can tell my, you know, that's Tom Perro from a mile away. Am I the best blues guitar player? No. Am I the best guitar player? Definitely not. Um, but I've crafted that. So I want to make sure that the, my audience knows what they're getting into, and they can expect to hear familiar sounds but i don't want it to sound just like the record it can't um so yeah i mean long long an long answer to a short <laughs> question but um so as you said you you'd missed playing live i'm assuming this is drawing covid locked away like everyone else uh probably i'd imagine actually maybe suited you down to the ground initially <laughs> um being the sort of artist that you are um, but post-COVID, you, you, you had that kind of drive to go out and play in front of everyone again. Um, we were talking just a little bit before with, with two band members. So tell us a little bit about how that experience has been for you uh, as we came out of it and, and, and had this kind of summer of collaboration, which has been really quite nice to see. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you, you're pretty spot on. Like COVID actually did suit my personality in terms of a... Uh, mad scientist, you know, wizard locked away in the castle working on these intricate patterns, right? So that was not, you know, terrible, but it was incredibly difficult as well, as everyone knows. For like the first eight months, I think many musicians I talked to, you know, you, you're like, oh, we have all this free time. 
I'm going to record six albums, but the artistic well is just dry. You know, I, I don't think I played guitar for the first like five months, four months, maybe. It just wasn't, I wasn't in the right headspace to do that. Um, and it was right around the turn of the year when 2021 came around. Um, two bandmates of mine, Luke Autry and Dave DeCristo, just excellent human beings, incredibly fortunate to have these two gentlemen in my life. We were like, okay, let's, we're ready to start rehearsing again. And I'm not going to spoil too much, but we've been rehearsing pretty much for the past year. Um, we had we recorded an album that we haven't really told anyone about. It's totally recorded. It's the best music all three of us have ever played, unquestionably. And we broke through to another level. This band, you're going to hear a familiar sound, but we've never sounded like we do now. So I'm just so... That's just making me be like, yeah, I just can't wait. Could you tell me any more? I mean, what's what's <laughs> the, what's the plan going forward with this? Well, um, I mean, we're going to be pro trying to perform throughout the Northeast over the winter and next year as well. So probably branch out into a couple different cities. I've, Portland, Maine is one of them. I want to reach out to New York. I have lots of friends in the city there. And we're gotten to the point where all of our rehearsals you know we've been rehearsing so much this year and putting in so much work that we should just turn those into live shows in in my head like why we don't need to rehearse anymore let's just play music every week we've put we are like prime right now so yeah i want to bring the band you know as much as possible i'm not going to saturate the local market i'd like to have a show every four to six week in in burlington but I really want to try to build little scenes in other cities in the Northeast, kind of in preparation for a larger tour next year. Fantastic. What what was it? What was the moment when you realized the three of you had created something new, something extra? Especially all three of you being very talented and experienced musicians, it, to to get to another level seems like quite a quite a special thing. What was the what was the, the that kind of moment? Yeah, I actually remember it, like, very clearly. It was, like, the third week of January, and we had started rehearsing every week in Luke's studio, which is actually right across the hall from mm -hmm. here. So I love this building. is just vibes for me. Mm. And I remember that third week after our rehearsal, I was like, I wish we had recorded that. Like, like what is – I noticed that something was happening here. You know, and as a musician, and I've heard this from some other musicians too, it's all about like these plateaus where like for years I'll feel like I'm at the same level of guitar and then one day I will peak and level up. And I, that happened with this band big time and I noticed it in that third week and we were lucky, lucky enough to be able to transition our rehearsals into an amazing studio space and take over a studio for essentially like two and a half months. I think we spent like three weeks just setting up the drums. <laughs> so needless to say, the record, and we caught the magic as it was happening. Mm. It was like we were writing new songs and I was like, man, I wish that was recorded. And we had the opportunity next week, got in the studio. And this is actually the first album that I've recorded, we recorded it live. 
three people in a room, no overdubs, completely live. And you you listen back, and it's like normally when you record stuff live, it's like oh mistake, mm-hmm. mistake, and I'm just like. There's not many mistakes, <laughs> if any. <laughs> That's pretty incredible considering all three of you are very much audio files and, and very particular about the music you play. Yeah, that's true. Um, I've got a thousand more questions, but I'm going to pause for a second and um, ask you to play another track. So what you got for us? Cool. Um, this next track is called I Wish You Well. And to give you, you know, you've been so generous to give me an opportunity to share what these tracks is, are about. This track is about um, having a friend who's very close to you, who's going in a path that you cannot follow, and about not approaching them with animosity or fear or anger, but just wishing them well on their path as your paths diverge. So it's called I Wish You Well. Thank you. 
compare that with I Wish You Well. <sighs> Not a great track. Um, any particular inspiration for that? Was there a moment in your life in the in the past year or so that kind of brought you to, to creating this, this song? Uh, well, yeah, that's definitely um, a specific moment. A uh, pretty deep cut there uh, for me. And I think this, you know, probably pretty relatable. The pandemic has certainly brought lots of different feelings and opinions and beliefs to the surface, right, for a lot of people. And I just noticed, you know, yeah, I had some friends, family members even that, yeah, are headed down a path that, you know, I, I just wasn't able to follow. And instead of getting angry at them, why don't you believe what I believe? Um, I just, I don't agree. It, it's wrong. It's right. You know, I did a lot of thinking about right and wrong uh, beliefs. And I, I've always really liked to think about that stuff in general. And just deciding to not let fear and anger dominate my thoughts, but instead opening my heart to them, saying, hey, you know, this is not a path I can follow you down, but I still wish you well, man. Like, still have love at my heart for you, so. I feel a lot of people who listen to your music is uh, in a place of meditation. Mm. Um, it, it's the sort of track that I would either have in the background when I'm either, you know, trying to to create a space in my own house where I can think or, or th uh, you know, feel things. Um, uh, do you use these songs yourself as, uh, as a way to meditate uh, on, on the things that are going on in your own life? Um, I think quite literally I use music as a form of meditation. Um, it hap it's been the past, like, maybe seven or eight years, I mean, since I really found my sound, where... Pretty much every time I pick up the guitar, I just stop thinking completely. I'll play, like, I. there's not a thought that went through my head when I was just performing there. It's just empty. Um, and especially when I perform live, typically I'll do a two-hour set with almost no breaks. And I started realizing four or five years ago that literally thoughts are not passing through my head. Like, I'm in what they call a flow state. It's like I'm not thinking about anything. So I, I use music quite literally. And it's funny that you, you know, mentioned specifically meditation because um, quite recently I've been describing my music as musical meditations. Mm -hmm. It really is kind of what it is. So, so yeah. very much literally I definitely use them as forms of meditation. Writing it as well? Oh, I can imagine that's quite a complex, maybe even stressful process. Mm. Yeah, so writing the tunes, no. Um, generally, how I write these tunes is they kind of get transmitted. And this is a common thing, I think, amongst musicians, um, where the tune will just come out. I, I've never, I, I actually can say this, I never sit down and I'm like, I'm going to write a song. It's always when I pick up my guitar and something just hits me. And frequently the tunes will come out like almost complete. Like the melody's there, the harmony's there. I have to work out the details with the band later, you know, when the drums come in, 
what bass line should go over this? Should there be an extra chorus? But generally, the main idea just gets like directly transmitted, and it comes out very quickly. That's almost the case for every song that I, you know, write mm. per se. You got commissioned to write a song this summer, "Love Wave," uh, by the uh, venture capital fund Hula. Uh, you want to talk to us a little bit about that? It seems a bit an unusual way that you kind of approach this. Yes, in this. Um this tune was my first real collaboration with other artists. So this tune was kind of a slight departure. Um, I really like working with Hula and working with the Sea Change uh, organization. It's a great cause. It's all about in climate change, environmental awareness. Excuse me. And... You know, they approached me. They said, hey, we're using music from your first album, Headspace. We've used that before. We worked together. They used it to kind of stitch together some videos. And they were like, people really love the music. Like, we got a lot of comments on it. Like, would you be interested in creating a unique piece? I said, yeah, like, that sounds really fun. So, you know, I had to hash out some details, obviously, make sure it worked out for everybody. And I was actually working with an artist in Colchester um, a gentleman named Michael Crane, who's a very seasoned um, recording artist, uh, composer, has been, he's just entrenched in the music industry, was working in Florida and Chicago for many years with big corporate events, got sick of all that, and now he writes ambient music in Colchester. <laughs> you got to love Vermont. Like, Vermont's <laughs> full of people like that. <laughs> and we were actually working on a track together that sounded very underwater. And this event that they commissioned me for was an event about specifically water. Um, so yeah, that song Love Wave is kind of a departure, but I would say that the general core for that song is based around a loop that again, just I kind of just recorded that was very spontaneous. And I didn't think too much about my parts really at all. Now how Michael and we actually ended up working with Will Andrews from Wolverine, who's an incredibly talented artist. I've been aware of him ever since he played with Jaffe Ryder. And he's starting to work with tons of amazing musicians. Did a great um, single with Sam DuPont. Worked with Francesca Blanchard, who's blowing up right now. I think she sounds, her band is sounding so good. I love where she's headed. And Will is just, oh, and working with Michael Chorney. Mm -hmm. And uh, they have a new project, which is like my favorite band. It sounds like everything I love about Bill Frizzell. Like, I think they're playing every Thursday at the Bean. Hmm. I got to make it there tomorrow night for sure. I'm going to try to. Um, Freeway Clyde, I think, is that project. But yeah, so I worked with Will Andrews. He just, you know, I just sent him stems. We live in an age where, you know, you don't have to be in the same room. And this is actually interesting. Will had never met Michael. And they met when we did a little release get-together at my house. That was the first time they ever met. <laughs> we had already released a track together. <laughs> Found that a lot over in the post-COVID world, people finally seeing each other behind Zoom in face-to-face. -face. And it was, yes, yeah, I had a few I had a few meetups where we'd I'd collaborated or worked with someone for a well over a year and yeah. finally saw them face to face in May and it was, it was quite a weird experience. Totally. But yeah, so that that project was unique in its, you know, I was it was really a collaboration. But I would say that, yeah, my process didn't really change that much. Mm. 
again, I kind of provided the bedrock of that tune, and then Michael and Will kind of played over top of it. Um, I did write the melody line at a later date, but I kind of just picked up my guitar and it came out again. Mm. So I didn't really get too meticulous with trying to structure things. Um, you know, I, I mean, I like to be meticulous about structuring stuff, but I'm not so inclined to be like, I'm going to write a song in D minor that's 130 BPM. It's just not my jam. Mm -hmm. um, I like it to sound organic and natural and just, yeah, connected with this yeah type of cosmic you know wavelength. So as weird as that sounds. Why was it important for you to use these hydrophones, which mm. I, I hear you got from a, a professor potentially, I think from, from New Jersey... Uh, Technological Institute. Well, why is it why is it important for you to to record this underwater? Well, I wanted to incorporate water into this music, but I wanted to do it in like a very just original, authentic way. I didn't want to just like record raindrops or just like record the water. Like I've been there and done that. Mm. Okay, like I've done that like hundreds of times. <laughs> but that's not where I am right now. So. At first, I, I wasn't sold. Like, I didn't have to put water into the song. It already had a very aquatic, immersive atmosphere. It just so happened that a really good friend of mine was coming up for the weekend. Uh, his name's Louis Rapkin, another incredibly talented composer. He's a little secret for everyone listening. If you want to be amazing, surround yourself with amazing people. That's been my mantra. I recognized that when I was, like, 17 years old. I was like, man, if I surround myself with people that I really look up to, I start doing wicked cool stuff. And I just never left that behind. And so every day I'm just surrounded by people that really inspire me and look and I look up to them. My bandmates are the perfect example. Um, and it makes me a, a better person. Brings me up. Um, Lewis is another person like that. So he was coming up for the weekend and he works with a professor of sound. Um, this professor works in particular with underwater insects in whales. He travels all over the world. Actually, if either of you have read the National Geographic from May 2021, it's all about the sound of whales. And this professor, um, David Rothenberg, is in there. That's his whole thing. He transcribed the whale sounds and wrote it down in sheet music and uh, I sent him an email. I was like, thanks for the mics, David. They worked out really cool. And he's like, oh, I, I, I'm so interested to hear. I've never thought to do what you did with them. I'm headed out to Siberia to record some crickets or something, but I'll be back in three weeks. And I really look forward to listening to the tracks. And I was like, oh, thanks, David. That's great. There we go. <laughs> um, so Ivan May was on the show the other day. Mm. Um, one of several musicians over the last four years I've been doing this that have name-dropped you um, as a source of inspiration, development, collaboration um, in their own work. Um, is developing the musical scene in Burlington something you've aimed to do? Is, is, it, is there a, are, you, are you doing this with intention or is this just something that just kind of happens? Because you, your fingerprints are on a hell of a lot of work that gets made around here. You know, I think in the past two or three years, I have felt confident enough as an artist with experience that I 
am actively looking to encourage and develop talent that I think is just phenomenal. And it wasn't something that it's kind of a recent thing where I think I felt for a long time. And obviously I'm still working so hard on my sound and my music, but I'm at a point where, yeah, I, I think that I have resources to share. I have knowledge that I want to share with either, you know, not just the younger generation, but with my contemporaries, especially if there's someone like Iva May who has incredible talent. I mean, her talent, it's just, I've never heard a better voice. Like, I don't think ever. It's incredible. I've like fallen off my chair listening to her, like literally, like multiple times. And so when someone like that comes around, another group is Father Figure. Mm-hmm a band that I am absolutely in love with. Their sound is so unique for people of that age group to, you know, I sound like an old fart here, but just for young people to be playing music that that's that detailed and interesting. I don't know. I just think that they're really, really cool. And I've started, you know, working a little bit with Aaron, just extending the olive branch. Mm -hmm. Be like, hey, just so you know, like, I'm on your team. Like, if there's anything I can do to help you out, like, I'm I'm here for you, you know? So, yeah, it's been a recent thing, but I really... Building a scene is huge. And Burlington has, you know, it's gone up and down, like, but in general, it's not a very competitive city. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big reason why you get... I mean, one person in their bedroom making music can only do so much. But you start pooling together 10, 15 of the most talented musicians, producers, and artists, you start making some art that the whole world is going to recognize. Mm-hmm. So, I do feel like we've seen a bit of a shift in recent couple of years with Burlington in terms of the diversity of music. It's not just jam bands and singer-songwriters anymore. It does feel like we are kind of starting to branch out into a lot of different genres with a lot of different talents, which is quite nice. Um, I may also mentioned that when she first met you, had a bit of an obsession with making tiny food. Uh, is, uh, is that something that you still do? <laughs> yeah, when she first met me, I, w- I was throwing a series of what have now become legendary parties. Um, it was a summer before I went out on tour, a uh, three-month tour with Abby Morin. And I was just every weekend I was like spending all the money I'd make at Mirabelle's and I was just buying delicious food. And I was in this obsession with cooking over flame. So I'd be grilling and I would make these little tiny like nine course like bites for everybody. And it would be like two, three times a week. I just like spent all my money that that summer on like having parties like two or three times a week with like 20 of my friends and uh it was just really fun. I love to cook. Um, food is very important to me. I found that what you put in your body really dictates at least like my mental clarity. Um, so yeah, that's when me and uh, Iva May first met. Um, probably had something to do with why, you know, the whole energy and mystique mm. around <laughs> my legend with her. Mm. But that was an epic summer and definitely shout out to, to Abby and the whole gang. She now plays with Caroline Rose. She's on tour with her right now. So another incredibly talented uh, bunch of artists there yeah um well we've got about time for one more song um so what are you gonna play that with all right well we got got a special one to to play you out with um this next song is called glow and uh yeah it's kind of 
you know, the next step, once you take the journey of a lifetime to the mountain, you realize that the mountain doesn't even exist. You know, you start to ascend and expand from the center. You know, what do you do next? I think you start glowing. So here it is.
Tom Piero there playing us out with Glow. Tom, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you so much for having me, Tom. Uh, Always a pleasure, man. Yeah. Um, I'm really looking forward to this new project, and uh, please come in again when that kicks off, and we can maybe get all three of you in and and have the the whole performance, or at least some of it. That would be awesome. Anytime. Well, that's all we've got time for tonight. This has been, uh, we've got uh, Nick Charik of Western Terrestrials coming in next week, so tune in then. But for now, this has been 105.9 The Radiator, The Rocket Shop. I've been your host on Proxa, and good night. Oh, man. <laughs>